Welcome to the award-winning, groundbreaking, most successful podcast on the planet, Two White Men, as that is who we are. With me, your host, Charlie Stewart, and joining me as always is the fantastic Scouse mathematician. No, it's not James Mercer, but my friend Sean <laughs> Turner for the second time. Who's <laughs> James Mercer like? <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate the niche math friends. Honestly, I had to Google him, and he was some random mathematician from Bootle in the early 20th century, and I have never heard of them. And I tell you what, Sean, that is not the only mathematics reference i've got for you you ready for this fun fact go on right here okay so we have everyone knows pythagoras yeah yeah mathematician philosopher N- not job not well to some okay um so this was tweeted by qi's uh, twitter page earlier uh pythagoras has such a, an extreme dislike of beans that his aversion may have led to his death one theory stipulated that he refused to run into a field of beans while being chased by political opponents, and so they caught up with him and killed him. What do you make of that, Sean? Uh, maybe we should chase more people into fields of beans. <laughs> I don't know. It's like the second most rebellious thing Theresa May could ever think of doing. <laughs> okay, moving on. On today's podcast, our main focus is religion. Ooh. Oh. One of three supposed topics never to bring up at the dinner table, along with politics and whether or not you put the milk in first when making a tea, <laughs> which, by the way, you definitely do not. Correct. Sean, you raised a very interesting point to me earlier on when we were chatting about today's show. Namely being, we are in that season revolving around a certain emblem displayed on quite a lot of people's coats, but also not a lot of people's coats as well. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? Tell us. It is poppy season. Oh, you're going to finish the sentence? No, I was I didn't waiting realize to you did this finished sentence thing. <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to, you know, like chemistry, some... finishing sentences. Oh, okay. Um, go it's, on. It's poppy Poppies, season. is it? Poppy season. Ah, it's poppy season. It's November. Yes, it is. And, you know, this, uh, for those who don't know, I spent my time in student unions. I served my time. And poppies always came to the forefront of debate as it uh, approaches November. So these obviously uh, remembering um, those who've died and money from buying these red paper poppies goes to the Royal British Legion. But some people disagree with buying these poppies. Um, do you know what, what do you the, think? Do you know what some of the uh, some of the the main the three main arguments are for maybe for not wearing a poppy? Uh, um, okay, well, Just okay. Hazard a guess. Is uh, celebrating war? That's up there. Fascism, uh, not fascism. Sorry, pacifism. Yeah, so to speak. Okay, yeah. so not celebrating yeah, war. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Um, Having been oppressed by the British Empire? Mm, that's not one of the ones I've got, but most probably a valid critique. Yeah. Um, doesn't look good on the football kit? Well, that, not necessarily, not but, but that is a point. So the three I've got written down here, um, one of them from Harry Leslie Smith, a 92-year-old World War II RAF veteran, has not worn a poppy since 2013 because he believes the spirit of my generation, i.e. the war generation, the World War generation, has been hijacked by latter-day politicians to sell dubious wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Mm. Poppy fascism. So what is poppy fascism, Sean? Poppy fascism. So is that like the, you know, the EDL and etc. trying to claim this symbol for their own? Sort of. It's more along the lines of... If you're not wearing a poppy, it's like, well, why aren't you wearing a poppy? Oh, right. That's okay, sort so like of the poppy, expectation right. that you have so to. The, an oppressive religion yeah. of poppy is Yeah, essentially, fact. essentially. And then the last one, um, which I I um, I agree with on, on some levels, is... Heroin recovery? Is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for anyone who didn't know my dark past, uh, Sean has revealed it live on air, so thank you for that. Um, but no, 
Sorry, uh, Charlie's mum. <laughs> luckily, she doesn't listen, um, which she should. Uh, disagreement in the armed forces uh, activities, and by when I say this, I don't mean in World War Two and, and World War One. Um, in there's a, there's a sort of a famous example in football with West Brom's midfield James McLean said he would wear it every day of the year if the poppy only represented those who died in World War One and World War Two. However, he said the poppy represented all the conflicts the UK had been involved in. And because of the history of where he comes from in Derry, I cannot wear something that represents that. And then obviously, we're all aware of what he's referring to um, in in that sense. And I can sort of level on some respects to what he's saying there. And for when I wear a poppy, I'm wearing it to to symbolise and remember those who fell in World War One and World War Two wars that I believe were not only necessary, but also should be not celebrated, celebrated is the wrong word because we shouldn't celebrate war, but certainly were, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They were just wars. Proud, so to speak. Not proud of the war, but it. we were fighting against something that needed to be fought against, essentially. Yeah, it's a just war, yeah. I suppose, is, is what the, some philosophers would call it. But Yeah, I mean, I've, I've read loads on, on Twitter about poppies and... Um, you know, there's somebody talking, um, this Pakistani person who said they refused to wear the poppy and uh, said, how can people blame me when, you know, it's uh, run by the Royal British Legion and he's, uh, you know, representing a history of an army who came, oppressed my people, um, brought their imperialist regime, caused all of the, you know, um, problems that have happened um, to the east of Britain since, effectively. Um, so why should I then donate money to these people and celebrate them um, and it's not to say that they don't um, commemorate the war um, yeah and, and like you said you know there's plenty of veterans and I think even um, the British Legion themselves have said that you know this isn't celebrating war but also people died to fight for the choice and the liberty of us nowadays so if people choose to take that liberty to not wear the poppy that's just as reasonable as those who do I, I agree. Um, before we jump into our main course, the meat of the discussion, or I suppose I probably should also say tofu for any of our veggie or <laughs> vegan listeners. Correct life decision. <laughs> um, but yes, before we jump into the meat of the podcast, so to speak, we will have a little starter and briefly touch on some of the more significant uh, stories of the week. However, we must start on a more somber note, namely that last night America suffered its sixth mass shooting of November. Bearing in mind we're only on November the 8th, this was the sixth mass shooting in America of just this month alone, as 12 people tragically lost their lives to another mass murderer. And, I mean, one month, Sean, that's that's quite insane. It is. Um, and, you know, again, this is another, um, well, at least the suspect currently, um, not for us to <laughs> hinder any investigation, <laughs> Perhaps that's overestimating the popularity of this podcast so far. Um, I don't know why you're laughing. We're talking about the mass shooting, Charlie. It's disgraceful. But just to clarify, I was not <laughs> laughing at the mass shooting. Um, but the person who's, who's uh, currently the chief suspect is a homegrown person, believed currently to be a veteran of the US Army. Um, um, is also there's suggestions that you know this guy's suffered from PTSD, etc. He's been involved with the police before um, for. You know, mainly personality reasons, it seems. Um, and I just think it's important to emphasise that these, these shootings are happening not because of the Mexicans and not because of, you know, the Islamists, but this is a homegrown issue for Americans. It's, it's funny you should mention that, actually, because before 
Um, whilst I was on my train back from Newcastle, that's why uh, we were late to start today because I was on my journey back from from up north, so to speak, uh, even though we still are in the north. Um, I was preparing for our podcast tonight and I actually noted down here that already in the straight aftermath of such a tragic incident, there were the right-wing populists on Twitter, such as Paul Joseph Watson, who claimed the gunman, by the way, with no evidence whatsoever, no factual evidence, claimed the gunman to be a Middle Eastern man with a beard in his 20s. And obviously this was then picked up by fellow right-wing populists and circulated online, where this couldn't be further from the truth. As Sean rightly pointed out, the main suspect and official reports are indicating that the confirmed suspect was in fact a white male who was an ex-Marine suffering from PTSD. Um, an interesting point here, which I think is relevant in all sort of discussions around this topic. What do you think of the argument around whether or not we should name and publicise the images of the people who carry out these sort of... Um, um, it's it's really hard. So I think, yeah, I'm in I'm in two minds. I understand why um, certain convicted criminals are protected from public attention. I think in this. So for example, I, so one one thought would be, and particularly given the current president of the United States, um, if this person wasn't identified as being, you know, Ian the U.S. veteran, then. You could easily see how he could push his rhetoric, albeit indirectly, about immigrants and foreigners and you know overseas terrorists, without much scrutiny, because nobody would be able to say, well, actually, it was um, Ian from down the road who shot all those people. Uh, I also think that if this person um, is, you know, and and it's likely that they are going under serious, um, you know, suffering from serious mental health problems then you know dragging them through the press is going to do absolutely no good for that situation for that individual and so there's an ethics question there i think um is it in the public interest to know yes um oh so i'm undecided i'm really squirming on that one but is not that exactly um, what the, the people who are carrying out these atrocities want is it not the case that they want to go down of being um you know infamous for doing such a terrible thing and that is what that is their end goal of being remembered and yes. being... Yes, uh, okay, so so yes, and maybe we don't know that. And if they do, then maybe it's because of their current state of mind. And, you know, maybe in a few years, if they, um, say, if, they, if they're on the road to recovery from um, their unwellness, that they will then, you know, regret that decision and not want to still be known and have a Wikipedia article written about them, etc. So is it fair then to, you know, indefinitely persecute this person? Yeah, well, simultaneously, do you can you ever forgive someone who's murdered twelve innocent people in a bar for shooting? That's I mean, that's a bigger question than we've that's got a time question. to discuss. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have been in the position. Um, I would blame nobody who couldn't forgive them. Them. Um, I don't know the limits of my own forgiveness. Um, they are certainly not um, those of the omnipotent. But moving on from from this topic, obviously, this isn't our main focus of today's show. We just wanted to uh, uh, give a quick highlight of some of the week's news. But whilst Go on. Whilst I was actually um, looking, was this about relevant to the topic we were just talking about? Uh, well, I was just going to say staying in America. Yes, sir, staying in America. Very well done, Sean. Thank you. Sean's mastering these links. <laughs> he knows He knows the game Finishing now. Finishing sentences. He knows, play the game. Exactly, he knows the game. So whilst on the topic of America, uh, I recently discovered these statistics, um, which, which actually quite shocked me and leads into the topic in which is going to be our main focus for the rest of this episode. 
25% of the American people believe that the Bible is literally true in terms of the events it describes, and 40% of the population do not believe in Darwin's theory of evolution. Is it any wonder that Trump got elected with these sorts of statistics? Or, Sean, am I being deliberately provocative there? Almost certainly. <laughs> um, you know, I think Trump definitely um, had had some religious groups backing his uh, his campaign. You know, to be general, to generalise it, you know, there's the Bible Belt of voters um, with traditionally Republican leanings who supported him. You know, there were KKK grandmasters who came out who are um, predominantly Christian of faith. Um, I suppose what what I suppose kind of there's a Venn diagram, isn't there, of of um, you know, particularly religious people, um, the majority of whom are wonderful people and fine and and do well in society, um, or for society. Then there's a kind of a <laughs> a group of people who are, uh, you know, um, I suppose un. I'm I'm trying to be careful with my words, but you know, sort of, kind of uncultured and unexperienced, and haven't gone out in the world. You know, there's there's ridiculous proportions of Americans without passports, um, and who have kind of not uh, researched beyond their own lived experience. And then in the middle, where those two groups overlap, there is a really high proportion of Trump voters, I expect. And so I think there's this this group of um, those religious fanatics who are also. Uh, nut jobs who haven't left America and thought about a world beyond their own ranch <laughs> probably voting for Trump. And it's uh, it's very important to point out this point and it ties in with a lot with what we said in our first episode that any opinions uh, either I or Sean present throughout this podcast do not reflect either the Guild the Radio Society or any of our employers because unfortunately we do exist in a culture that is currently very much out for blood whenever they experience something that they themselves don't personally agree with. But the point you make uh, at the beginning of what you said in regards to um, America, um, in, in terms of, what did, you, what did you say to start with? Uh, so about, about kind of that religious... The Trump, no, the Trump, the Trump voters. Yeah, the Trump and, voting being yeah. American. Well, I've got a very interesting story um, for you, Sean, which I think you'll actually like. It's, cool. this, is, this is closer to home. I also must say, you're very definite in saying that the Guild and the University of Liverpool and Radio don't support these views. We don't know. They no, don't. I didn't say they didn't, they didn't support them. But... Yeah, they don't definitely support yeah, they don't them. De- <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know. saying, you know. But this is, this is closer to home. So, um, so I've got an interesting story for you here. Uh, it was posted in The Guardian, written by a lady who also happens to be the vice president of Humanist UK. Uh, do you remember those shoeboxes we would send to uh, impoverished children when we were in primary school? Do you remember those yes. things? Yep. Okay. Ever wonder where they actually go? Um, I know some went to Romania. This isn't that wasn't one of the things I've got wrong here. Answer. Okay. <laughs> that's the wrong answer. Let's say I don't know. Not what I've got on the card. <laughs> I don't so, know. Where did so Sean doesn't know. Okay, so Wales Online reports that Glamorgan Cricket Team and the Cardiff Blues Rugby Club are also supporters of the scheme, i.e. the shoebox scheme. The former reporting last year that they had helped to load over 10,000 gift boxes onto vehicles leaving the South Wales depot for a destination in Albania. Albania, now that's a clue, a mainly Muslim country, the kind of place where most of these shoeboxes are destined, the sort of countries that indeed, as in the awful song, do not know it's Christmas time at all. Now, first things first, there's nothing wrong with that 
in this in how I've just described it. There's nothing wrong with sending a gift box to countries that don't happen to um, celebrate Christmas, and it's something that helps impoverished children. However, this is where it gets uh, it ties into religion, and this is where it gets, in my opinion, quite sinister and quite dark. After the uh, so so many good-hearted packers of shoeboxes know little of the organisation behind the scheme. It's run by Samaritan's Purse, a fundamentalist American evangelical Christian missionary. After the boxes are dispatched from the relevant depots, they are then delivered along with a missionary book of Bible stories called The Greatest Gift, with the 12 Bible lessons offered by many of the churches distributing shoeboxes. According to the Samaritan's Purse website, 157 million children in over 160 countries have experienced God's love through the power of simple shoebox gifts from Operation Christmas Child. A story from that official website tells us how a shoebox converted a Muslim family to Christianity. Quotation here, Angela, uh, Angela received an Operation Christmas Child shoebox filled with presents last year at this time. Since then, she's led her Muslim family to Christ. The man who runs the Samaritan's Purse, i.e. the uh, enterprise whom operate the, uh, the, the shoebox mission, uh, which, by the way, has over $16 million in income, is Reverend Franklin Graham, son of Billy Graham and CEO of the Billy Graham Evangelicalist Association. He spoke at the inauguration of both George W. Bush and Donald Trump, coincidental. He is strongly anti-gay and anti-same-sex marriage. Graham defended the Russian president Vladimir Putin's gay propaganda law, praising him for protecting children from any homosexual agenda or propaganda. He told the Washington Post that God had intervened to cause Trump's election. He said, I could sense going across the country that God was going to do something this year, and I believe at this election, God showed up. Thoughts? Uh, he sounds like a bit of a nut at him, doesn't he? Like, what's he thinking? You know, so I went to uh, a Catholic primary school um, and a Catholic secondary school. So this kind of, this Samaritan's Purse stuff, you know, it's no it's no wonder. I don't know about your kind of religious upbringing, Charlie, but um, I'm not surprised. And I suppose from a Christian perspective, this is just part of the mission. You know, you read the Bible and you were told um, right through that what you need to do is go out and spread the word and spread the message and then by putting these bibles um and these these prayer books and whatever and these guides in the boxes you're not forcing them to be read you're not you're not making um these citizens of albania read them but simultaneously right? <laughs> but simultaneously they are sending to a predominantly muslim country christian doctrines that if they are then to subscribe are likely to face persecution mm. in that particular country I regret the work I've done for Samaritan's Purse in sending those boxes. I'm sure I made a couple in school. Um, and oh, I as, no did I. as did I. Yeah, did yeah, I. Yeah. We were ignorant children at the time. Yeah, I, I no, didn't know I was, until uh, just a minute ago, until I, I read this article a few hours ago. I no, that, that is mind-blowing. I was a young child, and I was being used <laughs> by this Trump supporters organisation to help spread Christian... Yeah. Um, message and it, do you know what as well I suppose at the time when I was off singing Kumbaya my lord in assembly I probably would have thought that was a good idea as well because why shouldn't these lovely children in Albania also get to sing Kumbaya my lord so it's very easy to see how that message is spread but certainly if you know if this is still going on as is I would strongly protest any secular organization that is providing support to these organizations so you know if there are infrastructural support organizations you know logistics companies etc who are helping facilitate this 
I would suggest that there's um, a case in lobbying them to remove their support. And, and, and the point of this article um, by um, I can't I can't remember the the journalist now, so apologies for that. But the point of this article isn't to say that these children don't deserve you know, a gift at Christmas. That's not the point. No. The point behind it is the, the fact that we need to know where uh, well, and except who we're on the naughty list. There are some on the naughty <laughs> list in <Yeah>. Albania. <laughs> very true, very true. But on the whole, obviously, we want, you know, impoverished children, we want to have uh, as good of a, of a life as possible. But it's just knowing about where and who we're supporting, either directly or indirectly, through schemes such as this. And that leads on to this next case quite um, succinctly, which I could not believe when I read it. Go on. Um, in fact, I could really, I could believe it because I know how ridiculous uh, some organised religion can be. Um, I read an article earlier. Um, some of you may be aware of it. Um, the Pakistani blasphemy case. So a Pakistani Christian woman yes. has been pr- freed from a prison week uh, after the Supreme Court overturned her conviction and death sentence, let me clarify, death sentence for blasphemy against Islam. And she is at a secure secure location in the country, uh, Pakistani officials said on Thursday. Uh, Officials dismissed some media reports that the woman, uh, Asia Bibi, had been flown abroad, which would enrage hardline Islamists who have been protesting against her release and calling for her to be banned from leaving. Now, she was convicted of blasphemy in 2010 over allegations she made derogatory remarks about Islam after neighbours objected to her drinking water from their glass because she was not Muslim. Now, Sean, you'll be very, very delighted to, to learn <laughs> that Pope Francis met Bibi's family this year saying that he prayed for her. Oh. Uh, and Italy said, on tu- Italy said on Tuesday it would try to help Bibi, who is Catholic, to leave Pakistan. I have a confession. Forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. <laughs> I quite like Pope Francis. <laughs> I've got a weird soft spot, and maybe it's just compared to other popes mm. and other members of the clergy. Of whom, of you know, some of whom I know, members of the clergy, and they are fine people. Um, obviously, there's a lot of problems with the, with you know, the um, organisation of the clergy. But yeah, I think Pope Francis has done some okay things you know his views necessarily on um homosexuality and some of his conscious views on contraception um particularly um some of the earlier comments he made about people in africa and their access to contraception aren't the best um and i wouldn't support him to be supreme leader of the world necessarily but i don't think he's a baddie necessarily um well, that's my impression and I've got absolutely no founding for that, really. But from the things he said and the things he's done, he seems to be the most progressive in terms of views on um, women and uh, well, gay I mean, people, so far as popes go. Yeah, I mean, and when we're talking yeah. about progressive so in relation to we're the talking Catholic about, Church, yeah, we're talking about there's uh, still a hundred years millennia out of date organisation <laughs> here. But um, you know, there are, there are people within the church who think he's a bit too forward-thinking. Which is baffling. Do you want to know? So this, go on, do you go want on. to know a baffling fact about uh, Pakistan? So, go bear, on. so bear, bear these 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 three facts in mind before I get to the um, to the sort of dessert of this topic, uh, which is probably insensitive in terms to what yeah. we're actually talking about. Pakistan has the tenth biggest labour force in the world, has the twenty sixth biggest GDP PPP per capita, and the eleventh biggest military. And in Pakistan. If you are to insult Islam's Prophet Muhammad, 
it carries a mandatory death penalty as Pakistan is about 95% Muslim and has among the harshest blasphemy laws in the world. No executions have actually been carried out for blasphemy in Pakistan, but enraged mobs sometimes kill people whom are accused of blasphemy. Now that is crazy. It, that is... <laughs> I, there's no way around it. That's crazy. It, it is. And yeah, I suppose there's an important thing to caveat here in that we're obviously not talking about Muslims being a problem in all of this. I suppose the fundamental question is to what extent is Islam as a religious force the problem? Uh, and I suppose then you say would these people be doing this otherwise? Uh, you know, if these people were brought up in a secular society, would they be doing it? And I would suggest no. Just, just by a, a basic scientific control comparison against other secular societies i i don't think so um i think there is something and i'm not isolating islam in this all of that is this example within religions that seems to drive people to do things beyond um the human instinct as as is you know considered civilized in society today but that is bonkers um exactly i mean you you pretty much hit the nail on the head of Religion, you know, religion is not a person. It is open and subject to as much ridicule as any other topic of debate. Just because religion is personable uh, to, to some, you know, any one person, it does not mean it is untouchable. You know, for example, the works of Tolkien are personable to me, but that does not mean everyone has to like Lord of the Rings. Whilst I will vehemently disagree with any arguments against those works of absolute genius, by the way, uh, I don't want speech against them banned or do not claim for such people to be labeled as fascists because they disagree with my love for middle earth and that's the key <sighs> that's the key point to notice when we're talking about religion here we're not talking about those who are religious you know we're talking about the religion themselves who does which doesn't have feelings you know is open to as much critique as is necessary but because we're saying something bad about the religion it doesn't necessarily mean that we're then saying bad about someone who subscribes to that religion mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's time for a song. And I have chosen a song um, based on, I suppose, the middle of, for the second time I'm going to say it, today's Venn diagram. Because I like Venn diagrams and, you know, I feel like this is a Venn diagram week. So the first circle on our Venn diagram is um, the faith of Islam. And the second circle on our Venn diagram is the US of A, which we've been talking about. And probably the most important news, I think, to have come out of the United States this week is the results of the midterm elections and the absolute phenomenal performance that has been put in um, by the women who are running. You know, we've had the youngest um, woman in Congress. We've had um, twice, we've now got twice as many women, a record number in Congress since the early 1990s. We've had the first two. Uh, Muslim congresswoman, the first Native American congresswoman, um, and you know we've had black congresswomen in place where there's been predominantly white um, previous candidates. So I think there's been absolutely phenomenal um, performance by women, and particularly women of various um, intersectional boundaries. So yeah, huge uh, feel good there from the United States. Sean, introduce the song. Uh, this is Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves. LS Radio. Okay, 
bringing it back to the central topic of religion, uh, I mean, I am very much of the strong, strident opinion that um, religion is bad and it poisons everything. Um, yeah, digest that sentence quickly. Um, okay. But whenever... Who said that? Uh, that was Christopher Hitchens, oh, the, of the late great, the late great <laughs> Christopher Hitchens. Depending on your opinion. Yeah, yeah, God is not great yeah. at how religion poisons everything. Um, whenever I'm listening to a debate between a believer and a non-believer, something that the believer side always seems to either begin with or always reverts back to is how they do a lot of charity work. Um, and I always feel like whenever I hear the debate, it's always just a time filler to, to you know, play on the heartstrings of the people in the audience to distract from actually some of the horrific things that have happened under religion. And the usual counter-argument to this is that, well, plenty of atheists have done terrible things. Yes, that happens to be true. Plenty of atheists have done terrible things. But the difference being, the atheist didn't do it because of a non-belief in some deity, whereas a lot of the people on the religious side of the debate who have done terrible things did it believing that God was not only in their, in their corner, but also willing them to do mm -hmm. such things. And that is a key distinction yeah. of the, the counterpoint often made by believers. So, Sean, what do you sort of make of the whole, you know, there's... Over the, especially the last sort of ten years, there's been a rise of new atheism and and revel. Uh, sorry, um, uh, sort of extremist atheists, so to speak, in in the likes of the four horsemen of Christopher Hitchens, Dawkins, Sam Harris, and Daniel Dennett. What do you make of that 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 sort of dichotomy between you know the religious fanatics and the so-called atheist fanatics who are trying to push that agenda? I say in inverted mm. commas. I mean, uh, I mean. Christopher Hitchens, obviously, um, or in my opinion, a very intelligent person, very capable person. I mean, I think he's a bit of a knob. Was a bit of a knob. Um, yeah, I, I'm not in the mood for aggressive atheism. Um, but he made a lot of points that I agree with. Um, this idea about religion and morality is, to me, nonsensical. Um, you know, there, there are... There is research done, and, and you can cite papers published within the last 10 years, um, which kind of go out to find the best countries in the world. Unsurprisingly, they come out as Scandinavian countries and um, Northwestern European countries on the whole. In terms of measuring, you know, gender and social equality and other characteristics in terms of equality um, between those groups who are typically oppressed and those who aren't. And, you know, judgments on social values, etc., etc. All of these graphs have negative correlations between um, the best countries in the world and also um, how many of those people follow religion. In other words, countries where fewer people believe in a religion tend to be considered better in terms of equality and social justice. Um, now, I suppose there's a point in that, you know, these countries are um, often more developed. And so then you think about, um, you know, there was the book Sapiens that was written and, and it, you know, describes how, uh, you know, it's, both, it's a, kind of like a, a pop anthropological um, book. And it, and it discusses how religion is key in terms of, um, you know, spreading messages, installing order. Um, you know, how else do you get a... Um, feudalist society or you know how do we get from cavemen to today 
Well, as a big argument. So we we need to have had some order, and there needs to be some way of spreading messages. So that then then if you get to the point where they're spreading messages, then you think, okay, where do these messages come from? And you know, it seems to be in, at some point we've agreed that murder's bad, rapes bad, theft is bad. Um, and then, do you think that came from a divine being who instructed us this through tablets on Mount Sinai, or whether you think wherever you think they came from, or do you think they were required for society to develop, and then people needed a way to spread that message? And then the fact that that message needs to be spreaded is agreed both by the religious and non-religious. But you work it back, I suppose, to that point of where that message came from. Um, but the idea that religion is now still needed, I think, is is you know obsolete because we now have legal systems, we now have communication systems. You know, um, people, uh, if they were scared of God, they can now be scared of a justice system. Uh, you know, we've moved on, and yeah, I think religion had a purpose um, in kind of spreading those morals wherever you think they came from. Um, but I think it's obsolete now. Well, exactly, and I think you Enough. you hit on a, a very good point in terms of myth. And myth back when, you know, um, humanity, uh, as you rightly talked about in, in Sapiens by, um, I can't remember the gentleman's first name, but Noah, Noah Harris, is that, that the, the gentleman's surname? So. Uh, it's true that back when we were in those small communities where we used myth to spread, uh, and let me emphasise myth there, to emphasise moral teachings about us as humanity were very necessary. And if we're to analyze the time in where, for example, St. Thomas Aquinas was, was writing uh, and, and trying to understand the world around him, um, you can almost see and accept how he came to such um, conclusions about how the, the, the world was created and, and led him to believe that um, the creation of a universe was by some deity that is detached from us, transcendent. Um, but you also hit the nail on the head in that we don't need that anymore. Uh, and Christopher Hitchens in his book, God is Not Great, nails that, that point pretty much uh, and refers to Carl Sagan's uh, quote. I mean, I'm paraphrasing quite badly here, but essentially says that, you know, why, why do we need to look out into the, st- uh, when we look out into the stars, do we have to assume that this was the work of some deity when all of our scientific practice indicates to the side of argument that that is not the case and more importantly i think the advantage that uh, non-believers have over believers is that we don't have the arrogance of claiming to know where everything came from uh, and knowing how it all began and i think that's a very important point namely being that there are a lot of things that we didn't understand for hundreds of years where eventually science prevailed and gave an explanation as to how it is what it is and humans a very um, open and very um, susceptible to patterns of behavior and creating uh, creating coincidences to mean something more than they are, i.e. only being coincidences, to be something, you know, supernatural and something bigger than what we are, um, that could, because that's how we're disposed and how, how our biology is, is framed. But as you rightly say, we've moved to a stage where you know, the God hypothesis is no longer needed to explain how we got to where we are. There are plenty of other alternatives that are not only more evident, but are also more realistic. And re- going back to the initial statistic I introduced to, do, to, to bring in this discussion, you know, 25% of Americans believe that the Bible is a literal work, that <laughs> there was a virgin birth, that... You know, it's just, it is absolutely insane. And whenever I hear these arguments, and there's, there's always, well... How can you, the atheist, how can you 
prove that the world had begun in such a way, i.e. from the Big Bang or the multiverse theory. Mm. But the burden of proof isn't on us, the non-believer. It's on the believer because you're making an extreme metaphysical claim here that the way in which we were brought <laughs> about is by, a, is by some god that you know no Big one can interact with. Claim. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Harari was the name. I just gave a quick Google. Yeah, close. Mm. Um, that was the author of Sapiens. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just bonkers to me. And um, that's you know, I, I like say was brought up um, in a Catholic environment, um, and certainly to an age in my teen years, believed that there was a god. Um, that there was a higher being. Uh, I was confused that different people around the world had different religions and that people were all seemingly fighting, um, if not necessarily that theirs was the religion, um, the, the one the one truth. And then kind of, yeah, as I just became more and more of a scientist, I thought, this is not, not true. And I think... Um, there's a really intense debate on whether religion and science is compatible. And I think all, all, all I say on it is that religion fundamentally um, hinders scientific thought. And what I mean by that is that religion is based on faith, and that is the one principle that science is not based on. So, so I'm not saying that people can't be religious scientists or scientific um, people of faith, but... It's it's not possible for me, to, to my mind, if you've brought your brain up in a way that is, um, and you commit your brain to a way of thinking that bases on blind faith, to then also say that you are, you know, a follower of, of a scientific method, which is based on doubt. Um, the whole of science is based on uh, one person comes up with an idea and the whole planet of scientists does their best to prove them wrong. Scientists are bastards like their only objection <laughs> the only objective is to prove the other one's wrong we had it a few years ago with people saying they proved einstein wrong with particles going faster than the speed of light um, they of course turned out to be wrong because einstein is the one um but yeah and and the whole scientific community got in a buzz because someone was going to be proven wrong um whereas actually the, the religious community does the opposite they are seeking out these miracles to confirm their belief these you know whether they're prophecies or messages they're doing the exact opposite. They are, their news is when somebody confirms what they believe is right. Whereas in science, often the big stories are when they're proven wrong. And the very point you make there, which I think is a, is a very important point, is that when you're already disbelie- disposed to believe in something and you're seeking out something to prove that very thing you want to believe, you're going to be very susceptible to you know believing any sort of coincidence that does seem to confirm what you believe, where actually if you were to separate yourself from the event and, you know, come at it from a rational perspective, you believe that this thing, okay, this is not a miracle, this is not, you know, something from a higher being, this is just a genuine coincidence that happens all around the world very frequently. And um, going going back to sort of the, the, the issue surrounding, uh, a point I want to make very clear here is that I am not, attacking anyone who believes in some form of higher being while i myself uh, i categorize myself as uh, an agnostic atheist i cannot you know i don't believe that there is a god but i cannot prove that there isn't a god and that's a big difference you know i don't believe it but i can't prove it's the case so therefore i have no objection with people who do believe in some form of 
you know, higher being because they can't be proved right and also they can't be proved wrong. So who am I to tell them that they are wrong when, when none of us I'll, know? I'll tell them they're wrong. <laughs> okay, you can do that one. <laughs> I'll do that. But my problem is with organized religion who throughout, um, throughout history have had, you know, astonishing records of malpractice and absolute disgusting behavior throughout the history of religion which is what I have a problem with and that being forced onto us. And, you know, there's a lot of talk and a lot of counter-arguments to the new atheist um, movement, so to speak, or the humanist movement, being that, well, aren't you, you know, the, uh, the atheist fanatics, so to speak, aren't you just as bad as those religious extremists who, you know, are trying to force their religion onto other people to convert them? Well, let me just say this. Every time I've walked through Liverpool 1, which for anyone who's not local is the local uh, shopping area and eatery area in Liverpool, never once has a preacher been an atheist trying to convert people to not believe in God. Never once has a group of leafleters being of the atheist persuasion. They have always been religious. So this whole argument is just one, a non-starter, and two, ridiculous. And the this ne- is the-, the next equal opportunity for my house. I'm going to take other and put of an atheist persuasion. <laughs> atheist persuasion. This is LS Radio. Right, so carrying on a discussion about religion, Sean, let us suppose that it's true. It's all true. God's real. These organised religions, you know, I mean, they all talk about different gods, but one of them's right. There is a god. Well, or multiple. Or multiple. Yeah. Or multiple. There's one idea is right. Yeah. Yeah. So, let us suppose, you know, a god does exist. Okay. What? Do, do you really want to live in that? Do you really want, do you really want to live oh. in that <laughs> sort of dynamic? Big question. Um, I don't know really, because, I mean, part of me thinks that maybe it just make it all a bit easier. Like, if we know that there's a being there or multiple beings there or a system of thought there which is correct then at least we know where to ask the questions you know there's there's a there's a scientist within me that's saying you know the search for dark matter and dark energy which is basically all that's unknown about the universe um and and part of the problem is that <laughs> why it's called dark is because no one knows where to look for it um so if we knew that there was a correct like ideology that was that was actually governing our universe, then maybe it'd just make it a bit easier to know where to look for things. But not that do you not think at the same time, like the whole, you know, our entire life from conception to to death, I mean even beyond death. Or birth. In, in in some in some uh, religions. Not necessarily conception. Yeah, no, yeah, depending on what depending what on denomination what your church to. has told you. Yeah. <laughs> Which has caused many a battle or war over the slight differences of religion. Yes. Um but the whole idea of being watched from, you know, being born and then going beyond death of being sort of watched is some sort of, you know, celestial North Korea. The only difference being you can escape North Korea if you die. Whereas, you know, in Christianity, you can't escape this dictator even after <laughs> death. And I mean... That was a, you know the the winning joke of Edinburgh Fringe this year? Yeah. The winning one-liner was from a Scouse comedian called uh, uh, Adam... Adam... Oh, I can't remember his name. But the joke was um, he performs a hot water in Liverpool City Centre, if anyone's about to see it. It was really funny. 
Um, and his joke was that the most depressing thing about working in the job centre must be that even if you get the sack, you have to come in the next day. <laughs> <laughs> and <that's>, yeah, and this <laughs> is Christianity. Yeah, I see what he did yeah. there. I mean, I can't take credit for that point. That was um, that was raised by Christopher Hitchens, um, who you may have guessed is a sort of I wouldn't say idol because he wouldn't not he would not want to be remembered as an idol because that's I guess against everything he um, believed in. Uh, however, it is true to say that, you know, in Christianity, you're watched from the minute you're born until, well, essentially, from what they believe in, for the rest of eternity. And the big point I sort of want to make is that when we have this sort of free will discussion about whether, you know, we're free to, to choose to do whatever we wish, the Christians say, yes, of co- you know, of course we're, of course we are free to do whatever we wish you know, our Lord permits it, which is a complete non-starter. And I had a voice crack there. <laughs> and also an oxymoron in the sense that they're free to do whatever they wish so long as their God has given it to yeah, them. Yeah, a dictated free will. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I say, you know, I have free will because I have no other choice than to accept it. You know, I've got oh. no other option than we have free will because I don't know anything else. Than that's that. not necessarily free will. This is getting deep. Do you not think? No, if you have a choice, if you have no other choice to accept it, it's not a free will. No, okay, maybe that was phrased wrong. In the sense of I have no other alternative to be aware of, that there's no other alternative ah. than having to, you know, choose to do whatever we, we, we so wish. Okay. I I wholly believe in a determined society, a determined life. I mean, I suppose, you believe in a determined yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, I think determinism is just the only, the only sensible option. <laughs> okay, so you, so you would subscribe to, I mean, I'm getting deep in the philosophy here, that uh, Boethius... Um, Originally, sort of hypothesized that uh, obviously he was a believer, which you, from what obviously, you're saying, sorry, we haven't all done a philosophy degree. Oh, yeah, sorry, this? okay, so Boethius. Bo- <laughs> so, I haven't spoken Greek. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Boethius um, was a prominent uh, believer, um, and essentially he said that he, he was wrestling with the whole issue of essentially what we just talked about how, how can free will. And the notion of an, uh, an omnibenevolent or a God that possesses all the omni qualities, how can those two things be linked? Because it, seemingly they are opposing doctrines. Yeah. And essentially, Boethius said, God uh, exists outside of time. And okay. yeah, so God exists outside of time and God sees all of time from past, present, and future all at once. He's a bit like Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar. I've never seen that film. What? But if that's the case, then okay, yes. yeah, okay, okay. Matthew McConaughey enters another dimension. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> so, so God sees everything on uh, one timeline. He can see your past decisions. He can see your present decisions, and he can see your future decisions. Because the implication is, if God knows you're to do something that is bad and doesn't intervene, he's not omniscient or omnipotent because he can't intervene which obviously a christian doesn't want to say because god is supposedly uh, in accordance with uh, anselm's uh, perfect being description of god but simultaneously you don't want to say that god isn't aware of what you're doing because that, that means he's not omniscient he can't see everything he doesn't know the whole pattern so boethius came up with the idea that god is outside of time and sees everything on one long timeline where he can see like i say your past present and future decisions so that's how he wrestles it. God knows what you're going to do, but doesn't intervene because one, life is supposed to be a journey of struggles and uh, a test, almost this celestial city that John Hick uh, supposes in his works in relation to God, that we're supposed to overcome obstacles that we face because it brings us closer to God and proves our worth to him. So 
first things being, I've lost where we were going with this because I got sidetracked in some philosophy. So, yeah, <laughs> so I got you a bit excited because I said that I like determinism. Yes. And you felt the philosophy coming and yes. got a semi over on your yeah, side. Yeah, that's very true. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, back to determinism. Back to where we were. So, back to determinism. In terms of what, what determinism do you sort of so you to? So, we, well, I don't have a, a big, I don't have a lot of philosophical knowledge on this, but my. Um, my understanding of physics um, is basically I'm happy to subscribe to any of the, the physical theories, for example, the, the multiverse theorem. Um, and that, that's the idea that, you know, anything that can happen does happen, but it is happening for us right now. And that is how it is going to happen. And that is laid out. And then, you know, if you um, believe in, you know, the laws of thermodynamics say that the, the universe is always going to become more untidy. There's this idea they call it entropy. Um, and we know where we are now, and we know the laws of the universe. So there's no reason why we can't predict where we're getting to, to at least like a local, to a, you know, within, within a reasonable amount of time. Um, and then quantum mechanics, which is obviously yeah, the last say, century's worth with... of, last century's worth of physics. Um, or you know the biggest development in the last century. Isn't that essentially the uh, theory that we could we can relatively predict what's going to happen based upon the? So it's not so quantum mechanics isn't wow you you're learning loads in this uh, listeners uh, philosophy and physics and probably half of it's wrong on both sides. <laughs> but um, quantum well, mechanics isn't a theory as such. It is um, it is the science of studying what goes on at a really small level. So um, as opposed to classical mechanics which is kind of what Newton worked with, which was like gravity. So if you let go of the apple, it hits the floor. Um, if you push something, it moves away from you. That kind of basic mechanics, which will describe the everyday world. Quantum mechanics describes the really small, so what's happening inside atoms and inside the particles that actually make up atoms. And there's an idea that um, everything is based not on being particles as you might imagine them and being in positions, but being probabilities. So actually, we can't know for sure where anything is. And this is kind of where you get into then uh, Schrodinger's cat and those kind of uh, famous analogies that people might know from pop science. The idea that you can't know where anything is, it's just a region of probabilities and things are probably there. And then the idea is once something is definitely there, i.e. you've seen it there, then all of the other probabilities can happen. Um, they just didn't in this universe. And then some people say, well, they might have happened in other universes. Fair okay. enough. So this is Whatever. the other world's theory. I, it yeah. could have happened in another world. Yeah, that... and, and, and there's no physics reason this why it didn't. is LS Radio. So this is quantum mechanics on LS Radio. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically my point is that if, if there are all these other universes, why can't this one be determined? Yeah. So it's, so it's almost the It's it was the a difference. roundabout way without going, yeah, so it's almost the, like the, the difference between, between contingent and necessary truths in, in that sort of respect. That it could be the case that in a universe other than ours, there is a case where our existence, you and I's existence, is determined in such a way. And therefore, because it's possible in another, in another world, it could also be true in this world. Right. So then we get to the point of, if this is all the case, who's to say that there wasn't someone who wrote these rules? And then, then are we coming onto long lines of sort of simulation theory slash? Well, yeah, that frustrates me greatly. But and that's another hour. 
But why isn't there a god who's written written this then? But why is there also? No, and no, I don't think there is. I think that's that's rubbish. That's why we're here. Um, I think answering the title of the podcast is religion shit. I think yes, it is. Um, I think for not just those faith aspects, but also, um, you know, and perhaps this is this is what we sh- we should talk more about really, and as a society, is the organised aspect of religion. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, what I want to come on to now is we, we haven't had time to talk about everything because if we were to talk about everything, we'd be here for, for literally hours on end because this is not a um, you know 45 minutes and done discussion. Series in itself. Yeah, exactly. It's a full, you know, it's a, it's, it is a full book um, in itself. Not the book, though. No. <laughs> no, because we all know who wrote that and that's all very true, as we've mm. seen. Um, but a question that often gets posed to atheists is, well, okay, you don't believe in religion, then how do you get your morality? And not only do I find this question quite gross uh, in the literal sense of the word, uh, it's also very it's very arrogant and it's very, um, you know, it's assuming that with, without religion that you can't be a good person. And Sam Harris, uh, in his interview with uh, Master of uh, Philosophy, I think it is, at the... Um, New College of Humanities in London with A.C. Grayling asked, what are your roots in humanism, you know, in in your view? So for anyone who doesn't know what humanism is, it's essentially, uh, well, in fact, I'll read it in in his own words. So A.C. Grayling says, the tradition of ethical thought stemming from classical antiquity is the foundation of humanism. And by the way, he's very, uh, he's very, very pressed on pointing this out. It's a thousand years older than Christianity. In fact, it goes back to the Chinese tradition. Uh, of humanism Uh, and the study of these ideas suggests their living uh, applicability to life Uh, and he's being keen to alert people to this fact and often people ask what is the alternative to religion as a philosophy of life because that's a big question you know we're all on this journey together and no one really knows how to live so if we're taking that comfort blanket of religion out of the equation it's likely that those who have removed it from their lives want something to replace it with for comfort and for AC Grayling and for many other atheists humanism uh, is this um, is this view, which essentially is that we as people can be good to each other just because, you know, uh, by virtue of being human and, and learning manners and learning how to interact with other people, we can replace the morality that religion supposedly gives without needing, you know, the celestial dictator uh, up in the sky. What do you what do you sort of make of uh, of that that perspective, Sean? I mean, like, I get again. So I suppose. Whatever, like if you want to call it humanism, fine. If you want to, you you take you find beauty in that, or you find solace. In that. I think, I think there's something, um, and I'm willing to yeah, accept that perhaps people have this calling out for some sort of spirituality or um, deeper meaning. Or um, I think what a lot of people find in religion is a source of comfort, um, and a source of community. Um, and so you know things like humanism where people know they are not the only person who thinks this they know that there is perhaps some sort of explanation for um, or basis for them to have feelings and and meditation Um, fair enough but you know I've meditated I've um, seen things that have made me you know be struck by beauty and awe and thought wow that's 
beautiful and amazing. And but then does that lead natural, you to the conclusion that oh, it must be designed no in that way exactly no and i think you know richard feynman um the great physicist of the last century um or the last half of the last century you know spoke several times and i wholly agree about that actually knowing the scientific reasoning for why things have occurred and particularly that they've occurred randomly and as you know out of random happenings we've ended up with this beautiful creation and that we are seeing it and we are lucky enough to be alive while it is um, I think that adds beauty. And then, you know, people, you know, he does a talk about how, because um, he, he was really into art as well. And somebody asked him about uh, the design of a flower. And they said, when you look at the flower, when I look at the flower, I see the beautiful colours and the petals and the shape. And you look at the flower and you see the equations and, you know, kind of like Neo out of the Matrix. You're seeing it just as code and, and, and the uh, fluid dynamics involved in running a flower. And he said, no, actually, he said, because I obviously can still see the colours and the beauty and the shape. He said, but then I see another beauty, which is the fact that it's alive and it runs and it has a lifespan and it interacts with the plants and animals. And, and you know, it plays a part in, uh, you know, the growing earth. And, um, yeah, that scientific basis adds another dimension of beauty rather than detracts. And it's, it's funny you should say that. Um... Richard Dawkins says something along the lines of, and, and by the way, I'm paraphrasing here uh, probably quite badly again, but he says something along the lines of, you know, what if it were to be the case that Michelangelo painted, you know, in the National Gallery of Science? Or what if Beethoven composed, you know, uh, a symphony for Darwin's evolution? We just don't know those things. Art and culture are not bound and do not belong to religion they can be appreciated without having to have some form of higher purpose or design behind them it's not necessary as you as you just said there doesn't need to be a designer or a composer or an artist behind it for it to be beautiful mm-hmm. yeah. and i think that's probably a very good place to leave it actually for today because if we carry on we'll just get sidetracked and we'll be here for another for another hour um any final words, Sean, before we uh, say goodbye to our listeners? Um, no, really. I mean, like, I, you know, fair enough. If you want to be religious, be religious, whatever. Um, keep it to yourself. Keep That's it from to, me. Keep it to yourself, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's a bit shit. I think um, for those people who find, like I say, comfort and solace and that, and I understand that, um, but I would encourage people... Um, and I, I don't mean this from a position of arrogance because uh, I, I was there myself and, and I'm not now some almighty high-seeing being. But I just think there are, you know, really beautiful ways to find those similar feelings in other parts of society and just from other people, you know. Um, maybe one of the best things that we ever said in the Bible was Jesus said something about um, people should see God in each other. And actually, like, you know, if there's something in that way you can... Um, see the beauty that you find in religion actually just in each other then you can lose that reliance on something that doesn't for any scientific purpose exist we have outgrown the god hypothesis and we no longer need it Um, i do hope you've enjoyed this discussion on the second episode of the two white men podcast Uh, if you'd like to get involved with the show and share any of your thoughts and comments please do get in touch via social media But until next time, I have been Charlie Stewart and my co-host has been... Sean Turner. Thank you very much and we look forward to having your company again. Same time, same place next week. But until then, it's goodbye from myself... 
And goodbye from me. Should we do Brexit or something easy next? Yeah, yeah, something <laughs> something less complicated with yeah. uh, less people to be annoyed about. Yeah. This is LS Radio.